up Freedom House. Welcome to Freedom House. So excited that you guys are here today. If I haven't had a chance to meet you, number one, please come say hi in the lobby because I like to know everybody. My name is Diana Henderson and my husband and I get to be the campus pastors at our South End campus, as we like to say in the dirty South. And if you're new to Freedom House, we're one house with many rooms. So in addition to Central Campus, where you're at right now, and the South End Campus, where I'm from, we also have our Lake Norman Campus, and we've got an online campus. So if you're traveling for Thanksgiving, don't you be missing church, because you can watch online every single weekend. And we've got people joining us at our online campus right now from all over the world, New Hampshire, Louisiana, California, South Carolina, New York, Georgia, North Carolina, Florida, Maryland, Ohio. Welcome. Y'all give it up for our online family. So glad you guys are with us today. Now we do things different here, like I shared, we have a teaching team. So instead of having our senior pastors live streamed into our different locations every weekend, we have a live group of communicators that go to every campus every weekend so you get a live word of God. I don't know about you, but I like a fresh man a word and I like it from a fresh person. Can I get an amen? That's a vision of Freedom House. And our senior pastors have helped to bring that into action. Pastors Troy and Penny Maxwell, can we give it up for them? They are absolutely incredible. All right, guys, we're gonna dive in today because, you know, we're gonna be eating a lot of pie, maybe some goodies over Thanksgiving. So we're gonna eat some vegetables today, is that okay? You know, sometimes we gotta get our veggies in before we eat all the sweets and goodness. We're in a series right now called Thousand Hills. And it comes from Psalm chapter 50, where it says that God is the owner of a cattle on a thousand hills. He's the owner of it all. He doesn't need our money. He doesn't need our gifts. God doesn't need us. But he chooses to use us. Have you ever thought about that? That God, the creator of the universe, the one who hung the stars, he created the vault of the sky, he chooses to use us. You know, he could just wave his arm like a magic wand and make whatever, whenever he wanted to happen. But instead, he chooses to work through each one of us. I don't know about you, but I think that's pretty incredible. What is God looking for? He's looking for an empty vessel. And we're gonna unpack that today. I would encourage you to open your Bibles and take some notes. You can do both at the same time because we're multitaskers here, right? Yes, okay. We're gonna go to 2 Kings chapter 4, verse 1. It says, a certain woman of the wives of the sons of the prophets cried out to Elisha saying, your servant, my husband is dead. And you know that your servant feared the Lord and the creditor is coming to take my two sons to be his slaves. So this woman, she's just lost her husband and she's inherited all of the debt that he had. 
And the creditors, the people that he owed this debt to, were coming to collect her sons as collateral to pay off this debt. And she's freaking out. So Elisha says to her, what shall I do for you? Tell me, what do you have in your house? And she said, your maidservant has nothing in the house but this small jar of oil. Then he says to her, go borrow vessels from everywhere, from all of your neighbors. Turn to the person next to you and say, empty vessels. Do not gather just a few. And when you have come in, shut the door behind you and your sons. Then pour into all those vessels and set aside the full ones. So she went from him. She shut the door behind her and her sons. She brought in the vessels and she said to her son, bring me another vessel. But then he says to her, there's not another vessel. And the oil stopped pouring. She came and told the man of God, Elisha, and he said, go sell the oil, pay your debt. You and your sons live on the rest. So here's this woman in total, complete financial distress. Could God have waved his hands to make something happen? Sure. But God chose to work through this woman. God chooses to work through each of us. You know, this notion of the vessels, maybe you're going like, what, what are we talking about here? Jars? Like, what is that? Well, in the first century and even before, every household would have clay jars that they would use to store their valuables in. And the clay jars, the vessels themselves were worth absolutely nothing. The only value they contained was whatever was on the inside. And you see, God often uses these clay jars in the Bible as metaphors for each one of us because we recognize, he recognized, we're not worth anything without the value of what he deposits on the inside of us. God says, yeah, you can give him some clap for that, right? Come on. In Jeremiah 18, the potter, who's God, talks about bringing the marred clay and shaping it into something that can be used. It's the same concept there. Now, God's criteria to determine who he uses is very different than the world's criteria. If you think about it, it's totally and completely opposite. Let's read what God's criteria is in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 27. It said, God chose the foolish things. Turn to the person next to you, say foolish. He, to shame the wise. He chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. Turn to the next person and say weak. He chose the lowly things. Turn to another person and say lowly. He used the de despised things, the things that are not to nullify the things that are so that no one could boast before him. That says foolish or unqualified, weak, lowly. Anybody in here ever hired for a position at your company? Have you ever been on the hiring side? Okay, yeah. Were any of those the qualifications that you were looking for? Unqualified, foolish, lowly, weak, no, quite the opposite, right? You're like, I want the most qualified person for this position. I'm not looking for weak. I want somebody who's strong 
in their field who's strong vocationally. You didn't look for lowly. No, you're like, I want someone with reputation, with expertise, with experience. But God looks for the opposite. Think about every story in the Bible. The character that he uses is often somebody foolish, unqualified, lowly, and weak. And you know what? I'm darn thankful for that because otherwise I wouldn't be up here. You know, if you look at the story of the widow with the vessels, God did the same, unqualified, lowly, and weak. Here's this woman. She was now in a ton of debt. She's unqualified to meet the need that's standing before her. She's weak because she doesn't have a man obliged to take care of her. And she's lowly because in these times, widows were considered ostracized socially. So the criteria that God uses is totally counter to the world. Now in this story, we know that God's selection criteria is different than the world. But how do we know who God uses and for what? His scripture says in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 20, but in a great house, there are not only vessels of gold and silver. I like to think of this like your fine china. Anybody have fine china? Okay, yeah, you use it on Christmas, Easter. Uh, what other holiday? Thanksgiving, you pull it out a few times a year, right? It collects dust the rest of the year. Okay, that's your fine china. But it says, there's also vessels of wood and clay. Those were used for common use. Think about your everyday plateware. The stuff that if it breaks, eh, okay, not such a big deal. Or maybe if you've got young kids, like when mine were little, they didn't use the glassware. They used the plasticware. That's what he's talking about here. The vessels for common use. Some for honor, some for dishonor. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from the latter, he will be a vessel for honor, sanctified, and useful for the master, prepared for every good work. A vessel for honor. It's an empty vessel. Empty. You know, again, contrary to the way that the world works, God's definition of empty is something good. But think about in worldly standard, empty's bad. Like I don't want my cookie jar at home to be empty. You probably don't either, right? You know, I'll never forget the first and last time I'll have you know that I ever ran out of gas. It was in my driveway. But I have a reason for it. I was coming back from a business trip and I'd been on conference calls the entire drive. I pull into my driveway turn off the car, and then I realize, dang, I gotta go to the store to get something to make for dinner. Go to hop back in the car, turn it on, that thing won't start. And I'm like, what's going on here? Then I remember, about 35 miles back, that gas light came on, and I chose to ignore it, because I'm an efficiency person. I'm like, I can't stop for gas. I don't have time for that. So here I am, on E, out of gas, in my driveway. Now, you know what I was not about to do? Call my husband. I don't want him to know what I've done. So I remembered my husband, super resourceful man, he keeps gas tanks in our shed. 
and there was one gas tank of just gasoline. I remember him saying this. And the other gas tank was gas plus oil. Yeah, some other object that, or material. And I remember him saying, never use that one in the car. But when I went out to the shed, I didn't know which one was which. So I was like, hmm, okay, I have two choices. Take a chance, which could be bad. Or I'm gonna use my sales persuasion skills and I'm gonna call my husband and I'm gonna say, hey, babe, you are so smart. Thank you so much for teaching me about the two gas tanks. Hey, can you remind me again which one? And he was like, babe, where are you and when did you run out of gas? He totally figured me out. Empty of gas. Empty by worldly standard is a bad thing. But I wanna unpack for us today through this story that that's exactly what God is looking for in each one of us. And can I just tell you, y'all, this is a financial message because we need to know how to do finances the way that God taught us in his word in order to reap the benefits that God spells out in his word. Is that okay? Can we go some teaching today? All right, we're gonna unpack this to be an empty vessel in our finances. The first thing we can learn from Elisha and the widow is to go to the source. Go to the source. The widow has a desperate financial need. You know, I think about this. Here her husband dies, which I've never been through that. I can't imagine losing my soulmate. And I, I just imagine in this story that she didn't know that he was in financial trouble. So she's lost her husband and she's finding out that he owed these creditors a bunch of money. And she realizes she doesn't have anything to pay the debt. And back then, they collateralized debt with people. They're taking her sons to use as slaves to pay off the debt. She's desperate. Have you guys ever been in a desperate financial situation? I know I have been. Trying to meet the needs of paying the bills, feed the mouths in our family. I've been there. I know what this feels like. So what does she do? She goes to Elisha. Who's Elisha? He's the prophet. And in the Old Testament, the prophet represented God. The prophet was the intermediary between God and the people, the people and God. That's how he spoke to his people, through the prophet. So the widow goes to Elisha. She goes to the source with her problem. Now, you'd think this makes a lot of sense, right? But how many of us struggle to go to the source when we have a need? We think maybe I don't want to burden God because my financial need is just not big enough for all the things that God has to do. I don't, I don't want to trouble him. Or maybe we think, you know what? I've never seen God come through for me, so I'm not sure that I trust him. I can't go to the source because I don't know that he's good for it. You know, oftentimes we develop these unhealthy perspectives of God that start to be our perspective of how we can trust or not trust him. And sometimes that comes based on a relationship with somebody here on earth that led us astray and then we project that on God. 
Think about the widow. It was a man that left her in this situation of debt. And then she had to go to a man to now help her with the solution. Think about that. You know, in my case, my earthly father was a great one. He served our military for 22 years. He was always supportive, but he was never around. He was always gone. So my view of God for the longest time was God is a good God, but he's not available for my needs. All we have to do is go to the source. You see, God is just an ask away. He's just an ask away. What does it look like to ask God? Matthew 7, verse 7, it says, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find, knock and the door will be opened. James chapter four, verse two, it says, you desire, but you do not have, so you kill. In other words, you're trying to get what you want in your own strength and then you make a mistake in the process. You covet, but you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and you fight. Again, striving in your natural ability. You do not have because you do not ask God. We've gotta go to the source. What does it look like to go to the source? Pray. You know, when my son was five, I'll never forget, he came to me and he said, Mom, do you know what it means to pray? I said, tell me, buddy. He said, it's just a conversation with God. I was like, thank you, FH kids, for teaching my children the simplicity and the profound nature of God's word. God just wants a conversation, right? Philippians 4, 6 says, do not be anxious about what? Anything. But in every situation by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God. Or as my girls always say, mama, don't worry about anything. Pray about everything. The next way to go to the source is to read his word. If you're looking for an answer from God today, open the Bible and I can promise you he's gonna speak. Second Timothy chapter three, verse 16. It says all scripture is God breathed and is useful for teaching rebuking, solving tough financial problems, correcting, training in righteousness so that the servant of my God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. He's got an answer for you in his word today if you'll just open your Bible. We've gotta go to the source. Whatever it is that you're facing today, Go to the source, and I can promise you he will answer. Number two, to be an empty vessel in our finances, we've got to use what we have. Use what we have. Elisha told the widow, hey, what is in your house? And I love this part because she's like, um, this small jar of oil. And he's proceeding to tell her to start with that, but yet she's probably going, um, uh, hold on, rewind. If this jar of oil was enough to supply for my need, do you think I would have come to you, Elisha the prophet, in the first place? She's going, use what I have? And that's 
exactly what God is saying to us today. He's saying, use what you have. That's the starting point. As little or as much as that may be, use what we have. How do we use what we have? We take what we have and we bring it back to God in the form of a tithe. What's a tithe? Tithe literally means a tenth. It's 10% of everything that comes in. We're to return it back to God because last time I checked, he's the owner of it all to begin with. The scripture says in Leviticus 27.30, a tithe of everything of the land. Turn to your neighbor, say everything. Whether it's grain from the soil, whether it shows up in a birthday card in the form of cash, or whether it's fruit from the trees, your paycheck that shows up every two weeks, the bonus that you get in March, we're to return that back to God in the form of a tithe. The scripture says it belongs to the Lord. It's holy to the Lord. Malachi 3.10, one of my favorite scriptures. God says, bring the whole tithe. Turn to somebody next to you, say whole tithe into the storehouse. What's the storehouse? It's God's house, the church. Now, if you're here for the first time, let me just tell you, I don't want you to tithe yet because I want you to wait until you decide that Freedom House is your house. Plant here, then give your tithe to this storehouse because that's what we're to do. We're to tithe where we are planted. God says, bring it to the storehouse so that there's food in my house. And then he says something really radical, doesn't he? Test me. Test me. The only place in the Bible that God tells us to test him. And then he follows it up with a promise. He says, see if I won't open the floodgates of heaven with so much blessing. There won't be room enough to store it. Test him. You know, when we return the tithe back to God, we're literally saying, God... I trust you and I'm testing you to see how you're gonna bless this because that's what he does. You know what just pains me is that most Christians don't get past the decision to tithe. They get stuck here. There are 247 million Christians in the US today. Fun fact, only 5% of them are tithing. It breaks my heart because I think about all the people who are missing out on the blessing, on the incredible stewardship that God is trying to teach them through this notion of a tithe. And here's the thing, when we get stuck in trusting God with our finances, we're gonna get stuck in trusting God with a whole lot more. We hear from people all the time. Hey, pastor, when I hit the lottery, I'm gonna write the church a big old check. And I'm like, that's awesome. But why wait? Why not give of what you have now? Watch God bless that. Because here's the thing. If we're not willing to give when we have a little, 
We're not going to give when we have a lot. The scripture says in Luke chapter 16, verse 10, whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. And whoever is dishonest with little will also be dishonest with much. Start giving now. Watch God bless it like he always does. You know, we get several questions around tithing and I thought it would be helpful if I shared those with you today. The first is, what if I tithe less than 10%? I love this question because I say, well, technically you can't tithe less than 10% because a tithe is literally a 10th. So if you're giving less than 10%, that's one thing, but you can't tithe less than 10%. And my follow-up is to that is, you're not going to see the blessing that God promises when we tithe the full 10%. You're also not going to see the protection that his scripture promises. The tithe means a tenth. And fun fact, that number 10 is the number of testing in the Bible. God is saying, you test me, I'm also testing you. Do you trust me? The second question we get, how long do I have to tithe before I see the blessing? Well, God's word says, test me. Again, the only place in the Bible that he says to test him because he's good for his word. He's literally saying, test me, watch me show up radically. So as for the part of when, here's what I'll say. If you don't test him, you'll never find out. Test him. The next question we get, what happens if I stop tithing? I don't recommend this. In fact, tithing literally means a blessing. Think of it like this. When you tithe, that's God's hand going over your finances, going over your family, going over your job with protection and blessing. It's his hand. He's like, I'm on it. I've got it. It's under my covering. When we're not tithing, this is what God has to do. I'm sorry, I can't bless that because it's not following my word. When we're not tithing, the scripture literally references it as a curse. It's his hand being removed. There was a guy at South End in my husband and I's life group this semester. We studied the book, The Blessed Life by Robert Morris. And we were sharing stories about how we've seen God move. And he said, I got a story for you. I've been a tither most of my life. And one month I decided I was gonna test God. And so I stopped tithing. And he's like, we literally saw our finances drop. He said, my wife and I were at each other's throats fighting. They had all sorts of relational issues. And his wife went to him and was like, what is going on? I don't understand. He smirks at her which wrong response, husbands. And he's like, yeah, so I decided I was gonna test God and I stopped tithing and she was like, don't you ever do that again. So I would not recommend that you stop tithing once you start. Last question we get, why 10% versus a set amount? Why does God ask for 10% versus a set amount? Well, here's why. It's because it's equal sacrifice. It's 10 cents 
of every dollar, whether you make $300,000 or whether you make $25,000, God is asking for equal sacrifice. That's where the percentage comes from. Anybody in here play poker? Nobody's honest in church. Okay. All right. There we got some honest people. Okay. All right. Well, in poker, think about it. You can't control the hand you're dealt. And everybody gets a different hand. Am I correct in, in understanding the rules, right? It's a, a total chance of what hand you get. Whether you get a royal flush or a single pair, you've got to play what's in your hand. And everybody has the same opportunity to play even though what's in their hand might be different. Well, God gives to each of us uniquely. It's a different hand. But our opportunity to use what's in our hand is the same. And I would encourage you, whether you're carrying a royal flush or a single pair, play your hand. Don't worry about the person next to you. This is not keeping up with the Joneses. This is about what God has placed in your hand. Use what's in your house. Use what you have. Because to be an empty vessel in our finances, we've got to use what we have. Number three, last one. To be an empty vessel in our finances, we have to understand God's priorities. Understand God's priorities. You know what I love about the story of the widow is Elisha gives her very specific and sequential instruction. Anybody in here like order? I do. I'm like, give it to me straight and give it to me in order. And that's what Elisha said. He's like, use what's in your house, go gather vessels, not just a few, then start pouring. Pretty clear, very sequential. He made it clear what the priority order was. The same is true with God and our finances. He tells us very specifically how to do it. Now, why? Because there's this thing in the Bible called the principle of priority. In essence, the principle of priority is saying it doesn't work unless God is first. What's the first commandment? You shall have no other gods before me. Matthew 6.33 says, seek first the kingdom of God. God wants to be first. So when we get our paycheck, the first person that gets a portion of that is who? God. We give to God before we give to the government. We give to God before we give to the mortgage company. We give to God before we give to our savings account. We give to God before we give to the utility company, before we give to Amex, before we give to Visa, before we give to pick your favorite store. God wants to be first. That's the principle here. And let me just tell you, you can't give until you bring. Because the tithe is when we bring the tithe back to God. Because whose was it to begin with? God's. We bring our tithe first, then we give. So the tithe is returning. We bring that back. The offering is anything above and beyond that 10%. And you guys heard in the video at Freedom House, we call those kingdom builders. 
They're people who make a commitment to go above and beyond that 10% to build the kingdom of God. God wants to make sure we understand his priority. Proverbs 3 verse 9. It says, honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits. Turn to someone and say, first fruits of all your crops. Then, you see the order, priority, first fruits. Then your barns will be filled to overflowing and your vats will bring brim over with new wine. God tells us how much to bring and he also tells us which portion the first, the best. You see, God's never gonna ask us to do something that he hasn't already done himself. God modeled this principle for us. When he gave us Jesus, John 3, 16, what does it say? For God so loved the world that he did what? He gave his first and his best, his one, his only son, Jesus. He gave of his first. He demonstrated first fruits, what is first fruit? It's the Hebrew word, bikram. Say that 16 times fast. Bikram, 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 bikram. It means a promise to come. You see, the Israelites in the Old Testament, when they brought their first fruits to God, they realized it was an investment to see God move in the future. And for us, God is asking us to bring our first fruits so that he can bless everything that comes afterwards. Bringing that first allows God to bless the rest and to be an empty vessel in our finances. We have to understand God's priority. Otherwise, none of this works. So we've talked today about what it means to be an empty vessel, right? We gotta go to the source. We gotta use what we have. And we've gotta understand God's priorities. But here's the thing. None of this works without faith. You can't do any of this without faith. Think about the widow. She went to Elisha the prophet. She went to the source and asked for help. That took faith. It takes faith to go to God who's higher, larger, his ways are bigger than our ways. It takes faith to do that. And the widow then had to take action on what the prophet told her to do in faith. You know how many times somebody comes to me for advice and then they, it stops there. They don't actually take action on the advice. But the widow had to demonstrate faith. Just imagine. She's knocking on her neighbor's doors. Hey, excuse me, can I borrow your empty vessels? And they're like, uh, sure, what you doing? And she's like, well, um, okay. So you see this small, small jar of oil. God told me, the prophet told me to go gather empty vessels from everybody that I could and to pour this little tiny jar of oil into all these vessels and that the oil would keep flowing. Crazy town, crazy. They're looking at her like she's lost her marbles. Somebody commit her 
She's lost it. She's acting in total and complete faith. Has anybody ever done something in total and complete faith and everybody's looking at you like you have six heads? That is every day for me. (laughs) Acting in faith, it took faith. And then here she is pouring the jar of oil. Can you imagine? And she's like watching it flow, like looking at a room full of empty vessels. Will this oil keep pouring? Will it last? Will it supply for the need that I have? Is it gonna keep going? It takes faith. Think about you guys headed to go be with family for Thanksgiving. You're gonna be presented with an opportunity to share in faith. When somebody looks at you and says, what happened? You're different. You used to be cutting up with us at Thanksgiving and tipping back all the drinks and you've changed. What's up? And you'll have an opportunity in faith to say, you know what? I met this man named Jesus Christ. He totally and completely rocked my world. And now everything I do is for him. You'll have an opportunity in faith to share who your savior is. You know, I love the end of this story because it says when the vessels ran out, so did the oil, but the woman went back to the prophet and she's like, what do I do now? I got all these vessels filled with oil. And he's like, go sell them not just to supply for the need of meeting your debt, but then you can live off of the rest, you and your sons. Guys, that is great news. We serve a God that's not just gonna meet your need, he's gonna exceed your need abundantly beyond what you can fathom. That's the God that we serve. Will you guys stand to your feet? Listen, I wanna challenge you today. Maybe you're in here and you're one of the 95% of Christians who's not yet made that commitment to the Lord to tithe your 10%. Listen, this is not a rebuke, it's an invitation. Because I believe that God is gonna move radically. His word says, test him. And we believe so emphatically so in that promise that we have what's called a tithe challenge here at Freedom House. If you tithe for 90 days and you don't see God move in that time, we'll give you every penny back. Because guess what? I know we're not gonna have to. Try him, test him. See if he won't open the floodgates of heaven with so much blessing. I can just imagine a day where God's storehouse, his church is overflowing with the, the, the riches that his people have brought back to say, God, take 90%, I, I'll live on 10%, take 90%, but start with the tithe. Maybe you're in here today, you're already tithing, but you've not yet decided to become a kingdom builder. I wanna extend that invitation to you today. It's an opportunity for you to sow seed into the kingdom of God, to store up treasures in heaven. People, that's what God wants us to invest in. And you have an opportunity to come alongside. I like to paint this picture, imagine. When you're in heaven 
and somebody walks up to you and says, I'm here because of you, because you sowed, you took your finances, hard earned money, and you put it into the kingdom of God. And that made a way, a chair, a place for me to receive from God. And I'm here because of you. You have an opportunity today. Church, let's watch God move. We all just close your eyes and bow your heads right where you are. You see the widow, she had an incredible debt to pay. And we do also. It's the gap between the standard that God expects of righteousness and the missed mark, the missed target that we each represent in our sin, in our mistakes, in our transgressions. And let me tell you, there's nothing that you can do or say to earn the place for that debt to be covered. There's no amount of money that you can offer up to pay the price. But I have good news, friends. Jesus has already paid your debt in full. Over 2,000 years ago, he died on the cross and he said, I'm taking everything you've done, past, present, and future, and I bear that sin and I pay the price so that you can experience eternity in heaven. And if you're in here today, I wanna give you the opportunity of a lifetime to accept that free gift that Jesus offers you. If that's you in here, if you'll just lift your hand right where you are, I wanna pray with you. I wanna rejoice alongside of heaven for your salvation. If that's you, just lift your hand right where you are. Come on, lift your hand. Thank you, I see your hand. Thank you, I see your hand. Thank you. All of heaven is rejoicing. There's a feast at a table being prepared in your honor. Thank you, Jesus. And church, we're gonna seal this with a prayer. If you guys will all repeat after me as we pray together loud enough with your own ears to hear, say, Heavenly Father, thank you for paying my debt, for sending Jesus to die on the cross. Thank you that he rose again. I believe he is my Lord and Savior, and I will follow Him from this point forward. Amen. Church, will you give it up for those who've made a decision to follow Jesus? Man, that never gets old. It never gets old. And I wanna do one more thing. If you're in here today, maybe you're believing God for a radical move in your finances. It might be financial distress like the widow and you're looking at an empty bank account going, how in the world are we gonna make this happen? Or maybe you're in here and God has given you a dream that is one size too big, bigger than what your finances could sustain. Will you just lift your hand right here? Cause I wanna pray with you. I wanna pray a blessing over you. Thank you. Come on, lift your hand if that's you. I know my hand's right, raised right now. I'm believing God to move radically. Come on church. I'm gonna pray over you. Thank you, Jesus. Thank 
you are the owner of the cattle on a thousand hills. Nothing is too big for you. Father, I thank you right now that you are meeting the needs of the hearts that are in here, the hands that are raised. Father, I thank you for your provision, divine and heavenly as it is, that you will not only fill them up to the brim, but you will pour out overflowing exceedingly and abundantly beyond what they could fathom. God, I thank you for the financial blessing. I also declare a relational blessing, a spiritual blessing over every single heart that's represented in here. God, I believe for a day when your church is overflowing because the generous hearts of your people won't stop giving because we serve a God who won't stop giving. Lord, we love you. We honor you. We declare glory in your precious and holy son, Jesus's name. And all God's people said, amen, amen. Worship team, will you guys just sing us out? Just sing us out. church.